it's good to see everyone here. I want to say hello to everyone watching online as well as over in the video cafe. I'm glad that all of you guys have joined us as we're wrapping up this series. Just to recap real quick what we've done over the last three weeks, we've talked about dealing with our debt. We've talked about saving for our futures. And last week, Witty talked to us about handling our money in a way where we can live without worry. Now, these three keys to making your money work for you have the ability to radically change not only your financial life, but your just life in general. However, if you don't really get what we are going to talk about today, then it could be all for nothing. If you don't get what we're going to talk about today, then it won't matter how much debt you pay off or how much money you have in the bank. Your money will never truly work for you. And so I was wondering how many of you have noticed that in a series called It's Not About the Money, we've talked a lot about money. And there's a reason for this. We've spent these last three weeks building to today where we're going to unpack what it really means to have enough. And a few years ago, a friend of mine helped me learn some things about this. I'm sure many of you have heard the sayings, very popular saying, that money can't buy you happiness. And I've kind of never believed that, right? Like you buy something you really want, you're pretty happy. However, I've never had a whole lot of money, so I don't feel like an expert on this subject, but I do have one really, really rich friend. Like I'm talking, this guy could sell one of his cars and probably buy two of my houses. When this guy was younger, he bought two identical Rolex watches because he thought it'd be funny to wear them on the both arms at the same time. This guy was loaded, and so I had to ask him, hey, can money buy you happiness? And without hesitation, he replied, absolutely. Absolutely money can buy you happiness, but then he finished his thought. He said, money can buy you happiness, but it cannot buy you contentment. And that really hit me. This is the richest person I know. They are legitimately wealthy. But even with all the money and all the toys that he can buy, he still realized that it wasn't enough to make him content. And so what is contentment and where exactly does it come from? You know, the great philosopher Socrates once said, he who is not content with what he has would not be content with what he would like to have. The prevailing thought in our culture is that contentment is something you can achieve simply by getting enough stuff. If you just had the new house or a little bit more money, if you had a nicer car or wore better brands, enough stuff would solve your problems, it would fill the voids in your life and it would lead you to contentment. The issue though, the problem with this line of thinking is how exactly do you quantify enough? How do you measure it? How do you know when you've achieved it? How much money in the bank is enough money? What figure is enough of a salary? How big of a house does the trick? How nice of a car is enough? The problem is that the idea of enough is a moving target. 
And maybe at times in your life you've experienced where you feel like you're so close to having enough stuff and then it seems like enough moves. There's another void to fill. There's another piece of discontent. The reality is having enough may not actually be attainable. And this is a huge deal. I mean, we've spent the last three weeks learning how to make our money work for us. And maybe that money will bring us some momentary happiness. But if we don't figure out the answer to enough, then someday we could end up being the saddest, most discontent, rich people in the world. The search for contentment, for a life of meaning and purpose, being able to come home at the end of the day, and no matter how much you have or don't have, being happy with the life that you're living. This is complicated by our culture. I wanna suggest that the thing that keeps enough a moving target is the society and the world that we're living in. In fact, I believe that culture is actively fighting against your contentment. We've already seen in this series how big business is pulling out all the stops to make you buy things that you don't actually need with money that you probably don't actually have, but culture is much bigger than that. And in fact, culture starts, starts much closer to us than we might imagine. In fact, culture starts at home. A lot of it starts by the way that we were raised, and we can see this in our finances, because the majority of people are spending their money the way that their parents spent their money, and their parents spent their money the way that their grandparents spent their money. And so chances are, if your parents always leased new vehicles, that you also have a car payment right now yourself. Chances are is that if your parents never cooked at home, that you're dropping quite a bit of cash going out to eat every month. Our culture begins to be built even as children right at home. And then one day we're released to go to school. And our social circle continues to build our own culture. And so do you remember hitting middle school and you had to have what everyone else had? You had to have what people were wearing. As an awkward 90s child, I had to have a pair of Jean Co jeans. <laughs> now, regardless that these are literally the most hideous pieces of clothing on God's earth, I had to have them because everyone else had them and that's what culture told me I needed. But here's the thing, that piece of our culture, we don't outgrow it after puberty. And so we're still in jobs and we're still in the workplace and we don't feel content unless we have what everyone around us has. And then there's popular culture. What are your celebrities that you idolize and look up to? What are they wearing or eating or drinking? What advertisements are just too good and too sexy to pass up? All of these things come together to create this culture that is actively fighting against our contentment. And here's why. Here's why the world doesn't want you to be content. Here's why culture doesn't want you to feel like you have enough. Because as soon as that happens, as soon as you are content as an individual, as soon as you believe you have enough stuff, you're bad for business. You no longer want things that you don't need. You're no longer spending money you don't have. You don't idolize celebrities who don't really care about you. You don't have to outdo the people around you. As soon as you become content, 
you become bad for business. And so culture does everything it can to fight against you feeling like you have enough. And on some level, we know this. We know this because we see celebrities who seem to have it all going into depressions and having nervous breakdowns, and we see rock stars committing suicide. We see the richest 0.1% of our country funding the plastic surgery industry. These people are not content even though they have it all. And so I want you to imagine or to think about the person, maybe it's someone you know or a public figure or a celebrity, that it's like, this person has it all. What more could they possibly need? When I think about that person, I think about Tom Brady. Now, like him or love him or hate him, Tom Brady has enough stuff. He's a multimillionaire. He's now won five Super Bowls. He's arguably the greatest quarterback, if not the greatest football player of all time. He's married to a supermodel. The only thing we have in common. He's ruggedly handsome. He has more money than he could ever spend in a lifetime. Tom Brady definitively, without question, has enough stuff. But Tom Brady is not content. But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is, me, I thank God. It's gotta be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew, I wish I knew. I love playing football and I love being the quarterback for this team and, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. So there's billions of people all over this earth who are living their lives trying to figure out how to get enough. And most of them will never get there. And my fear for you is that you could spend your life and you could meet all of your goals and you could become rich and popular and still not have enough. My desire for you, for City Church, this movement of people is more than that. And more importantly, God's desire for you is more than that. And so how do we fight back against the culture of discontent? How can we win in a world where there's never enough? You know, one of the major storylines in the Bible is the history of the Israelite people. Now, this specific nation is such a major player in Scripture because it is the nation that one day Jesus would be born from. And so all of the Bible before Jesus comes on the scene is the history of this Israelite people. Now, because of this hugely important role that they were going to play in the history of the world, God set Israel apart. He made them special from all the other nations. He needed them to have a unique culture because they had such an important purpose and so when you read through the books of the Bible that follows their story, it's actually a case study in fighting against the culture of the world. 
And today we're going to look at part of their story that will help us redefine the culture that we are living in. You see, hundreds of years before Jesus came, the Israelite people were taken captive in Egypt. They were enslaved by the Egyptians for over 400 years. The living conditions were miserable. They were doing backbreaking work every single day and they were given just enough provisions to survive. And if you stepped out of line, you were immediately punished. You were severely beaten and humiliated. But you see, these were God's people. He had set them apart and he had promised that he would rescue them and that he would give them a land that he had promised their ancestors. And so after 400 years of slavery, God miraculously did just that. Through a man named Moses that you've probably heard of, he rescued the Israeli people from slavery. But remember, because of their incredible purpose, God demanded that they have a unique culture. And so when you read the story, the first thing that happens after they are freed from slavery is that God gives them a command. God said, after the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised on an oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Now, in an agrarian society, giving up your firstborn animal of every litter was a really big deal. These animals were their livelihood. They were as good as cash. And God knew this, and he asked them to do it anyway. So why? What's the point? You see, this was more than just asking for a sacrifice. This was more than just putting their trust in God. In the next verses, God showed the reason he asked for the sacrifice. He said, in days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb. You see, every time the Israelites sacrificed their firstborn animal, it was a reminder of what God had done for them, that he had miraculously saved them out of 400 years of slavery. He had changed their lives. He had saved them. And so years later, when a young child would be confused about why in the world their father was going to take this new precious lamb and sacrifice it. Why in the world would you take the family lamb and take its life? It would make no sense to a child. But every time that happened, it was an opportunity for them to say to their son, we do this because of what God has done for us. It was an opportunity to retell the story of how God had delivered them from the worst situation imaginable. And every time they did that, and every time they had that conversation with their children, it would build into their culture the same way that our parents built into our culture. And not only that, but everyone else in their community and everyone in their neighborhood was doing the same thing. And together they were constantly reminded of what God had done, how he had saved their lives. And because of this, the nation of Israel 
was reminded that God is the answer to having enough. God was enough to save them out of slavery, and he was enough to take care of them every time they sacrificed these animals that they needed. He was enough to bring them contentment. And when Israel lived in the promises of God, when they walked in that contentment, it set them apart. It gave them a unique culture for the amazing purpose that God had for them as a nation. And so you may be wondering, what does this have to do with us? Here in San Antonio, most of us probably aren't Jewish. We didn't live through the Egyptian slavery. We don't raise sheep. Maybe you do. I don't raise sheep. And unless you count Saturday barbecues, I've never sacrificed an animal. But what if? What if this story has everything to do with you? What if it was not only the key to Israel having a unique culture, but it's also the key for you to redefine and transform your own culture? What if this story is the key to us having enough and being able to live a content life? You see, what we know about the Bible is that everything God did with the Israelite nation was a foreshadowing of what Jesus came to do for us. And so don't miss the parallels in the story. You see, the Israelites were slaves to Egypt. And the Bible says that you and I are born in a different kind of slavery. We are born as slaves to sin. We're held captive by all the lusts of this world, by the bad decisions that we make, the horrible thoughts we have, our addictions, our pride. And we are incapable of winning our own freedom. This captivity to our sin separates us from God, not only now, but also in eternity. But just like God promised Israel that he would rescue them and he would make a way, God also promised us that he would make a way to rescue us from our captivity. But this time was going to be different. This time, instead of us giving sacrifices to God, God was going to give us the ultimate sacrifice. And so he took his firstborn, and he sent him to the earth, and his name was Jesus. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, the prophet said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was God's only son, the firstborn Lamb of God, and he took all of our sins that hold us captive, and he put them upon himself, and he allowed himself to be killed. And when Jesus died... When he became our sacrifice, the power of our sins that hold us captive died as well. All of the things that have held us in slavery for our entire lives now no longer have the power to do that. And all we have to do is to believe in what Jesus has done for us. And so here's the deal. If you have believed in Jesus, if you have put your faith in him, then you are in the same place that the Israelites were thousands of years ago. Whether you realize it or not, you were once a slave and now you are free. And just like the Israelites, God has given you an incredible purpose that is going to require a unique culture. 
Listen, if you get caught up in the world's culture of discontent, then your goal in life will ultimately be to get enough stuff. But as we've already seen, you will never get there. But if you've believed in Jesus, then you have the opportunity to redefine your culture and to live a life of true contentment. Your contentment isn't based on getting more stuff. It's about realizing what God has already done for you. If you really grasp the fact that God has rescued you, that he saved you from a life of slavery to your sins, it will change the way that you see your life forever. You know, I wonder if any of you have ever had a real near-death experience. You've been in a moment, maybe you were in a really bad car wreck or an accident at work. For me, I've had a few near-death experiences. Here's the deal. There's a few things I'm good at. Swimming is not one of them. And so I have been pulled off of the bottom of a couple public swimming pools where I was sitting at the bottom, unable to get back up, really wondering if that was going to be the last moment of my life. And you know, the strangest thing happens in that moment right after your life hangs in the balance. When you realize that you're okay, you experience true contentment. You're grateful for your life. You're grateful for whoever saved you. You're not worried about what brands you're wearing. You're not worried about how big the house is you're going home to. You're just grateful that you're going home. And you know, I think the reason that our culture is winning, that it's keeping us discontent, It's because we aren't constantly reminding ourselves of what God has actually done for us. We just aren't thinking about it. But if we can, if we can find a way to realize what Jesus has actually done for our life, I think we will realize that God is enough. Listen, you can spend your entire life trying to get enough stuff and you'll never get there. Or you can realize what God did for you, that he saved you out of slavery to your sins, that he gave his only son for you. And you can live a life of contentment. And that contentment will help you live a unique culture in this world that will undergird the amazing purpose that God has placed on your life. And so practically, you can do this by spending some time in your day praying. Maybe you don't know how to pray. Just talk to God like you would talk to the person next to you. Listen, sit and try to be as silent as you can. I get it, it's hard. I'm I'm ADD as well. Try. Read God's word. How can we possibly keep God at the forefront of our lives? How can we constantly be reminded of what what he's done for us if we're not reading his word, talking to him, and listening to him? Here at City Church, we believe that one of the ways we realize what God has done for us is by telling our story. It's what we do in our PTO classes or our re-engage program. When you really dig into your story and you start really seeing your worst ways, you realize what God has done to save you from them. We do this by putting God first in our finances, by handling our money like we've talked about all series long in a way that honors God. What if the way that we spent our money and invested in our lives was a constant reminder of what God has done for us? This is why we do our Financial Peace University. 
You remember what God has done for you when you intentionally put other people's needs ahead of your own by finding service opportunities. Listen, anytime we can intentionally take time to remember and to be thankful for what Jesus has done for us, we have a chance of defeating the culture of discontent. We have an opportunity to win in a world where there is never enough stuff. When we realize that God is enough for us, it puts our whole life in perspective. We no longer have to get swept up in this culture of discontent. But we are free to create a unique culture for our lives and for our families so we can live out the incredible purpose that God has given us. As we come to the end of our Enough series, Witty and I honestly hope that this has been helpful to you. Our desire was to help you find practical ways to make your money work for you, but don't miss this. Don't get everything right in your finances except remembering what God has done for you. Don't do all the steps and still never be able to get to enough. Realize that God is enough for you. He was enough to rescue you from the slavery of your sins, and he is enough to allow you to live a life of contentment. You are meant for more than that. You are meant to live a significant life. God has placed you on this earth for a reason, and I know that sometimes it's hard to understand, and it's hard to believe because the world has done such an amazing job of speaking down to us and telling us that we don't have enough and telling us that we aren't worthy of it, but you are. You were put here by the same God that rescued you from the slavery of your sins because he knows that you were meant to live a life of incredible purpose. You were made to redefine the culture around you, to impact people in your life, to bring hope to a hurting world. Let God be enough. You have been rescued from your captivity. Marvel in that. Never lose sight of what Jesus did for us on the cross. If you can do that, I promise you, you can have a unique culture for your life. And one day when your children ask why you don't do things the way that everyone else in the world does them and why you're okay with driving an older model car and why you don't have to wear the fanciest brands, you can tell them, son, daughter, I don't have to do that because I'm a child of God. I don't have to do that because God is enough for me. And instead of building in a culture of never having enough and frivolous spending, we can build into our next generation a culture of contentment. Now, for some of you, you may have never believed in Jesus, and so at this point, you are still living in captivity to your worst ways and to your sins, and all he asks you to do is to believe in him. Listen, Jesus did all the heavy lifting. He went and, and went to the cross for us. He took the weight of our sins on. And if you today want to make that decision and to believe in Jesus, you can speak it out loud. You can acknowledge it with a simple prayer that I would like to lead you in. So if you guys would close your eyes and create some space for yourself and the people around you, if you're ready today to believe in Jesus for the first time, I just want you to simply pray this prayer right where you are. Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I believe in what you've done for me. I believe that you are the son of God. 
I thank you for freeing me from captivity to my sins. And I ask that you help me live a life of contentment from here on out. In Jesus' name, amen.